0: Hi everyone, I'm Sky Ross, and this is Motherness, a podcast dedicated to sharing mindful and empowering interviews with mothers and experts. Together, we're shining a light on the realness of raising babies and life postpartum, from the first moments to the months following and the years beyond. Motherness serves to hold space for mothers in all their glory, to inform you, to include you, to empower you, and to connect you. And despite our different experiences, opinions, and approaches, as mothers who love, we are grounded in this together. Welcome to today's episode of Motherness. My hope is you find that this enlightening and empowering conversation sets the tone for what's to come for the rest of season two. Today's guest is counsellor, mindfulness trainer, and parent coach Shirley Pastroff. And I want to first preface this conversation with her by telling you I found this episode incredibly triggering, just in case you do too. I'm going to be honest and tell you that I felt super emotional in the middle of recording it, like lump in your throat, if anyone asks me if I'm okay, I'm going to break down kind of emotional, simply because much of what Shirley was saying resonated with me at my core. I cried for the rest of the day after our conversation had finished, and again, I found it overwhelming to listen back to and to edit. See, that's the thing about parenting. It forms your heart, helps you discover love in a whole new light, and can tear you wide open at the same time. It's like your heart is beating outside of your body and your child, and that child is the mirror of your truest self. Whoa. Whoa. And when you add in this kind of self-work, there's nowhere to hide. It sees you, like it really sees you. I went into this interview with Shirley thinking that mindful parenting was about everything that I'm not as a mother. And I left realizing that it's also about everything that I am. I left knowing that not only are my feelings valid, but that they're healthy That my triggers are valid, but my child hasn't caused them. The responsibility of managing them is mine and mine alone. And that I am everything I hope to be as a mother, just as I ask my guests in their final question. The fact that I care, that I'm growing as a parent and trying to do better, proves that I am worthy of this gig, even on the days where I feel like I'm not. To some of you, I fear this intro might sound ambiguous or fluffy, or that in the first 20 minutes you might be tempted to shout this interview altogether. But I only ask you to persevere. If you get to the end and you still don't get it, that's all good. Thank you for listening. But if you have trauma, are wounded a wounded inner child, or you have a simple desire to be a more mindful parent, I believe listening to the entirety of this conversation has the power to alter your course as a mother or as a father forever. Shirley is also the author of the life-changing book, The Mindful Parent. It is available to purchase locally in New Zealand through renewyourmind.co.nz and globally through Amazon, Book Depository and other online retailers. If you struggle with the confronting nature of parenting and quote-unquote doing it right, I hope you feel that this episode is as much of a permission slip for you as it was for me. Hi Shirley, welcome to Motherness. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm really looking forward to having our conversation today. Do you want to just start by introducing yourself? Tell us who you are, what you do, and who you are a mother to.
1: Sure, okay, so I'm Shirley Pastroff, I am a counsellor, I'm a mindfulness trainer, specifically a mindful parenting trainer at the moment, that's where my life has kind of led me and I've got five children and they are, I've got four girls and one boy and they're 18, 17, 14 and the twins are 12. Wow, busy household then. (laughs) Yes it is, yeah and heading up to Christmas feeling a little bit the pressure of having seven of us in the house all together for six or seven weeks, yeah. Thank goodness
0: you've got um, mindful parenting under your belt, so you can uh, definitely revert to that tool in your toolbox. So let's take it back to the beginning of your story, just I guess for context as to how you came to be where you are today and I guess the parent that you are today. How did your journey with mindfulness and mindful parenting begin? And then how did you go on to teach this philosophy to other parents?
1: That's a really good question. And I think like so many of us, without diving too deep too quick, that our pain becomes our passion. And for me, parenting, both having been parented in a way that was uh, challenging And my home growing up, my parents didn't find parenting easy in lots of different ways. And so I didn't as well. And so through the process of trying to parent, yeah, five children is a stretch. But if I'm really honest, one child was a stretch for me. I didn't find that relationship easy. I didn't find the fact that um, children are unpredictable, they're messy, they're emotional, they are uncontrollable. I found all that really difficult. And so the, the role of parenting for me was one of, you know, really great joy and good parenting when they were good kids, quote unquote, good kids. Um, and when they were tricky, I was tricky. Uh, when they didn't behave well, I didn't behave well. And it, looking back, it was a really fairly simple equation. I didn't have Good tools and techniques. I didn't have a background in uh, great nurture, and so I, I think what set me on the path towards mindful parenting way before it became a job was because it was an area of my life that lots of other things were going quite well. I looked fairly successful on the outside, and and with five children, you know, there's nothing like leaving the house with them looking even vaguely clean for people to give you compliments so (laughs) I thrived on all those compliments but deep down that uh, if only they knew the the yelling and the and the crying you know I was just as much doing those behaviors as my children if if only they knew they might not give me so many compliments so I think I was catapulted into uh, exploring is there another way to do this because it 's really not working for me mm. and so what was that exploration for you? Did you do a course mm. well, um I actually came at it sideways in the end, so i'd always been interested in in psychology and counseling, but felt that I, it was a a sort of path I needed to wait till I was a bit older. To do, and so I got really interested in studying that when the twins were little, because I had stayed home with the kids and i 'm not sure that was a great choice if i 'm honest i didn 't um, have enough stimulation for myself outside of the kids, but I decided to retrain as a counselor. At that stage, and it was really to work with grown ups, um, not with kids. It was to help me understand a bit more about psychology and the way I function. I had never thought about it being connected to parenting, but I came across some ideas some uh, ideas about mindfulness, about the brain, about neuroplasticity, about emotion validation that began to put the pieces together, even while professionally I wasn't considering it as a parenting um, focus at all, that I began to find some tools and techniques that were working for me. And so what I ended up doing was that I became a counsellor and while I was doing, I was running small mindfulness courses just for general public um, and had loads of questions about how on earth do you do mindfulness with lots of kids. And I remember at the time thinking, I'm really not. Like it's helping me personally, but there's still lots and lots of drama and um, high emotion and reactivity between me and the kids. And so that that was the moment I thought, right. If this material, this mindfulness, these ideas are worth their, you know all the research around them. If it's true, then it has to be true, getting five children out of the door in the morning. It can't be true when you have no kids or if you've got. 10 day retreat in Tibet or something you know it it either works for normal human beings and stressed and stretched human beings or it doesn't and that set me on the path of all the research and the writing and then the work that I now do with parents Mm, amazing
0: so let's break it down then For those who don't know or think they might know but don't have the clearest idea, what is mindful parenting and what are the
1: foundations of that philosophy? I love these questions because sometimes the massive balloon of mindful parenting becomes so huge for me that I find it, I've almost forgotten how to really simplify Mm -hmm. it down distill it right down so this is great so for me um there's two areas of mindful parenting one is the um theory of it and the other is the techniques and the practices and they go hand in hand lots of work around but both um all forms of mental health and healthy relationships have both in them if they're going to be effective so some I think um, that I've come across in the past that I found unhelpful are theorizing about things and then other areas where it's very practical, but there's not a bigger picture idea of what's actually going on, particularly at a brain level. Mm-hmm. So for me, mindful parenting is the idea that um, we, we gently and kindly take our attention off our children and turn that attention on ourselves as parents, and the reason it has to be gently and kindly is because often we're trying to resolve things that aren't working well in the home. And our focus of attention is often on our children and how they are not behaving like we want them to, not uh, turning out to be the kinds of humans we thought they would be. And so, what we have to be really careful of is as we turn that tension on ourselves, it's not with that energy of judgment. So the energy is uh, curious, it's kind, um, but it's very much um, focused on the idea that the atmosphere in the home, which is a reflection of the internal atmosphere of the parent or parents in the home, is how our children grow up. It's the I guess it's the essence of what they experience in their lives, which is all based in attachment theory, which I don't go into in huge depth in the work that I do, because I think it can be simplified down to when mum and dad or mum or dad, depending on the, or mum or mum or dad and dad, depending on the makeup of your home, when the grown-ups in charge have, and we'll go into this, a green brain in their head <laughs> or access to getting to a green brain responsive state, then actually children do really, really well. And there's heaps of research now around the fact that when we are able to upskill ourselves to be in a space where we are less reactive to the emotions around us and and much more empathetic towards our own, that children just get into the flow of that. They become resilient, they become emotionally intelligent, they become self-referential in the sense that they look to themselves for guidance and wisdom and intuition and generally the the outcomes for children that come from homes where the parents have, when I say done their work, it sounds like hard work, but really just recognise that they're the holders of the atmosphere and not the children, that the whole... um, system starts to regulate itself in the way that it's actually designed to. Does that make sense? That idea, I guess, of reframing it – but very kindly so that we're looking at ourselves to be the ones that upskill. But also there's a win-win in there for us Mm -hmm. because generally it's a wonderful feeling to feel more resilient around our own emotions and to feel in charge of our homes in a kind and loving way rather than it being the problem to be solved at the end where the children are. Because I don't know if you've ever tried to change anybody like a neighbour or a partner (laughs) or a friend or a mother. It's just the same with our children. We don't actually have access to changing other people in the same way we have agency in shifting and changing things about ourselves. Mm. So it's a much more accessible route towards a, a harmonious or at least a really fun home to be in.
0: Yeah. I mean, initially that realization I mean, I, I have ever since I had my daughter realized that it's actually not about me controlling or changing her but that she is in fact a reflection of myself and my greatest and deepest flaws as a human and as a parent and it can be a really confronting reality but I also think like you say that is an opportunity to change within yourself and that mindful parenting isn't about the children it's actually about you as a parent and I think sometimes you're ready to hear that and sometimes you're not. But that can, yeah, all I can describe it as is that can be quite a confronting reality for some people, can't
1: it? It really is, especially if it's not taught well, and this is why I am very. Uh, try to be really careful with the language that I use. So yes, our children reflect or trigger all of our wounds, all of our challenges, all of our... Um, areas of unconfidence, but they also reflect our greatest strengths and gifts. Mm. So it's it's a holistic picture here. It is about us more than our kids, but it's also about going, oh my gosh, they're going to kind of inherit the way that I speak to my partner lovingly or the way that I enjoy food or the way that I hang out with my friends. They will see all that as well as they might see what happens when they're not listening to me and that triggers a feeling of not being listened to or not being important, and now I become a little bit ragey or controlly, is that it's all about, we start to map ourselves when we see our, our reactions to our children, but that's also mapping the stuff about us that's gold mm. you know that's really genuinely healthy in the world when we're able to look with clear eyes to go I have the courage to see both and I have the tools to change the things that I would like to change or to support myself in the areas where my children do trigger me but I'm also really excited that they're going to grow up in a home with a mum that's like this with dad that's yeah. like this.
0: yeah that's a really beautiful way of putting it I think like we tend to um, often default when we're still learning and growing in this area and becoming, you know, yeah, on this journey of becoming mindful parents. Sometimes it's, I find for me, easier or it's my default to go to what I'm not doing right rather than focusing on what I am. And so I love that you look at it holistically. Mindful parenting isn't just about um, fixing or changing the ways that you react but it's looking at the wonderful ways that you respond as well
1: yep and the knock-on effect of that of course is that when we look at our children we go man this child is struggling with resilience or oh they've got quite a temper on them or they're really really resistant to trying new things those may well be true and they're things that we can work with helping them with whilst we're um as long as we're able to process how we feel about it first but it means that in the context of that we can also go and also she or he is kind or she or he is you know competitive Mm. and I mean that in a good way or she or he is um, a natural leader whilst also uh, hating to be wrong you know so we create Mindfulness is not about becoming something we're not. It's about re-perceiving what already is um, in new and not even just positive ways, but almost neutral ways in that we can see a little bit more clearly. And then if things emerge to the surface that really, really do need some help, some support, some changing, then we can focus on them with kindness and with an awareness that there is still a bigger picture, even around the things that are, you know, deeply unhelpful, that there is plenty around that, that is also great and that we don't um, see one at the exclusion of all the rest, either in ourselves or in our kids.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about the benefits that you've seen since you've done this. What have the benefits been for your children, your relationship, and your entire family?
1: Yeah, so um, I was talking actually with my sister on Skype this morning from the UK, and we were talking about the journey that both of us have done away from a, a Particularly uh, tricky relationship with one of our parents who was very, um, <laughs> very gifted in making sure that every single emotion that she had was somehow shown in her body language or her words. And that as children, we were very alert to her uh, feelings and very alert to making sure that she wasn't upset. It was quite an ex- extreme situation. But what I was like as a parent is utterly determined to be different. And really similar and that was that gutting feeling that so many of my clients say to me is I, I promised myself I wouldn't be like my dad or I, mm. I vowed that I wouldn't be like m- my mum and and I'm doing the same thing or I hear their words in my words and so for me that was my story. What I have learned through mindful parenting is this wonderful gift of being able to validate all that I'm feeling but process it in a way that protects my children from experiencing some of it and sometimes most of it so that they're living in a much more calm environment where I have access to being able to go, hi, I'll teach you through some of the techniques, but that I can go – she's not listening or she's saying no or he's come in too late for his curfew again and I'm able to process my feelings first Mm -hmm. so that then I can activate either love and support and concern and curiosity to find out what's going on for them or really firm boundaries to make sure they know that that won't be happening again or if it does that there will be limitations on that but it's not coming out of reactivity for me now it's not i'm not slingshotting at them in the way that i used to so rarely now and i i say that really honestly um, and not because i'm proud of it in the go me way but just because i'm so grateful for the material is that in the past however my kids behaved i would i would react quite almost like a child like with no filter i would be sad or scared or cross or advising consequencing threatening all of those things and it was done in a very sort of sweet way like there was no crazy violence but There wasn't this gap. So what mindfulness does is it creates a space. I call it the pause. So you get stimulus, which might be any of my five kids not quite doing what I want them to do at any one time, which is pretty much all day. At least one of them will be not doing (laughs) that. And then now there's a pause. And in that pause, I have changed my brain pathways through the practices but I also have techniques I can use in the moment so that I can process how their behavior makes me feel personally and then I can move into clear-headed parenting and again that will be different for every parent there's no right ways to boundary a child you know your curfews your what language they're allowed to use, what they're allowed to watch, their screen time, how much they're allowed to hit each other. That's all for each individual parent to decide. But my responses are mostly chosen rather than reactive, Mm. where in the past I would have said, oh, if I could have that half an hour again, I would do it completely differently now that's pretty rare so I might go I'm not happy with that decision I made next time I'll make a different one or I'll go to one of the kids and say I'm really sorry I don't think that was the right decision or I'm I think let's talk about it because I think you've got some input here but generally I'm comfortable with the way I did it even if the the decision at the time is one that I would change so I live in a world now where I'm still learning all the time and i Don't have all the answers to anything, but I do feel confident that mostly the way I respond to things is a way that's got uh, dignity, self-care, compassion for them, curiosity for them, curiosity for myself, so that I'm not doing the trigger reaction thing. And often because children are quite young to know that, they would trigger and I would trigger And then they would trigger and I would trigger, but because I'm bigger, not anymore, but I was (laughs) bigger. I own the car keys. I have the bank account. In a sense, it's an unfair fight because I'm always going to win somehow by removing things from them that they love or whatever it is. We just don't live in that world anymore um, because I have access to a pause that creates a whole different set of responses depending on who the child is, what age they are and what the circumstances in the moment need. Mm. So in that
0: moment, like, say, a lot of the listeners of Motherness have really young children about my daughter's age, you know, that real toddler age. And at that stage, you know, you're dealing with big emotions, developing language And often, if you're a first-time parent, this is all very new for you. You know, you haven't gone through this before. Can you explain when you're in that moment that, you know, the tension's rising, you can feel it within yourself, and you mentioned that green brain earlier, how do you, how does it kind of unfold? How does the mindfulness unfold in those moments?
1: I would say one step back first is that there's an element of this being quite similar to getting fit. So in the moment, we're going to be drawing on um, brain pathways that are developed through the practices that we do outside the moment.
0: The baseline almost.
1: Yeah. So the baseline of mindfulness, which is the beginning to get fit, is having some form of Being able to be present in the moment Mm -hmm. practices. And that sounds all very Zen and yogic and all the rest of it. It's very simple. It's simply being able to pay attention with kindness and curiosity to the present moment. Mm -hmm. And that could be to my breath, it could be to my coffee in the morning, it could be to the rain outside, it could be to all sorts of things that are ideally relatively neutral. So things I can't critique too much, like what I see what I hear, what I taste, touch and smell. If, if I can, with all of my clients, I will attempt to establish a two to three minute daily practice. It's very short. It's just enough for the brain to um, not only enjoy the present moment and go, you know, I may be having a stressful time, but there are things in the present moment that are still okay. Like I'm breathing or I can still taste and that calms, there's heaps of research around the fact that it, it reduces cortisol in the brain and produces serotonin and oxytocin in the brain. So that's two to three minutes where you have done your own chemistry change in your brain. So we become brain surgeons. It's as as it, it's as detailed as that, that, over, especially over time, is that we actually are able to begin to pray, uh, play with the hormonal content in our brain, reduce the stress hormones and increase the happiness and connection ones. So having that established in the background is pretty much crucial because otherwise what you're doing is saying to somebody, right, get up and when your child is upset about something. I want you to run a marathon now. Mm -hmm. So what I'm saying is we actually need the regularity of the fitness process, which is the background practices so that we can stretch ourselves to run the marathon or to run, you know, to the end of the street rather than just to the corner in the moment. Mm. So let's assume that practice is established What happens then in the moment is that lots of things have started to shift, which is one key one is that all emotions are not only valid, but crucial for good mental health. So that means anger, fear, sadness, and happiness. We want to see them all in our children. And in ourselves. And in ourselves, yeah. Um, So in order to feel vitality, we have to have all four emotions accessible. It doesn't mean we're going to feel them all, all the time and some we appropriately feel more than others, like hopefully we'll feel more happiness than anger mm-hmm. during our lives, but we need to have access to all four in order to be healthy. As grown-ups, there's lots of tools and techniques for how to process them so that they don't hurt other people and I can talk you through those Um, but just to give you the broad brushstrokes is that our children are too young especially when you're in toddler age my kids have started now to be able to do this but they're way too young to be the holders of emotion processing but they still will experience all those emotions and wildly Mm. intensively and very fast moving between hugging you and loving you to hating you and chucking things at you back to cuddling again which is exhausting and baffling for a parent to manage but more so if you think that they're hitting and hating and anger or whatever it is that there's something wrong with it hmm. so the baseline is the, they're all healthy they need to be handled differently and there are lots of ways to do that but that initial feeling of I've got to resolve a problem or there is something wrong here dissolves with mindful parenting so when a child cries it's not a problem to be fixed you may need to find out the cause of it especially if it's pure hunger or tiredness but if it's that they're annoyed about something or pissed off with their brother or sister that's completely normal and how we engage in that is with curious problem-solving energy rather than that something's gone wrong and especially what we often do as parents is we compare So our brain may go straight to, I bet in that house down the road, they're all speaking nicely to each other, or the children are all happy and eating homegrown food and playing board games together. Like our brains play these tricks on us. And what mindfulness says is, uh, no, this is the now, this is completely normal. And what do I need to help them? Do they need help and support? Or can I just let this go? Like, is there a safety issue here? There often is, we need to you know, stop a child hitting another child. But that ability to go, children are supposed to be scared, they're supposed to be angry, they're supposed to be sad and they're supposed to be happy or at least they're supposed to be able to access and express those so that that I'm not holding from the moment I wake up that feeling of how long are we going to be in harmony together before it all goes wrong As opposed to going, this day will be filled with all four emotions for all of us, probably. And I am upskilling myself or I'm learning how to validate all of those within myself and offering an environment in which all of those are welcome. And then moving into the tools and techniques for how to handle them. So we start off with a very different mindset as opposed to the mindset that says, I must be doing something wrong as a parent if my child Keeps having temper tantrums or um, keeps having meltdowns and not being able to recover, that's when we start off on the back foot and usually find it really difficult to parent well in those situations.
0: Mm, absolutely. I mean, something that I try to do in the moment, like say, I don't know, Albie's raisins have run out and she, you know, because she's eaten them all and she feels emotional about it and gets sad and is disappointed and frustrated. I try to think I can relate to those feelings. The context perhaps doesn't make sense to me because I have a rational, fully developed adult brain that goes, well, when you eat all the raisins, the raisins are finished. But for a toddler, they don't get that. And I think our learned behavior from our parents is to go, you're okay, it's okay, get over it, because to us it's not a big deal. But really the idea is that we can relate to those feelings and that's the level that we need to get on, isn't it? It's not necessarily about um, how we would feel in response to that situation, but how we would feel if we were feeling those emotions ourselves. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, it really is. And uh, for those parents out there listening who for whom this all sounds a bit fluffy um I I just I want to reassure you that this is as much about efficiency and about getting through difficult situations Mm. much quicker as it actually is about empathy so I am not as empathetic as Many parents that I know, but I'm absolutely all about getting through difficult situations as fast as possible and not getting stuck in them, um, and also enabling our kids to own their own emotions. So those are two really key aspects of why we do the empathy piece, and the the technique that goes with what you've been talking about there is they're a, a kind of like a partner pair. So if you slowed that situation down into step-by-step slow motion which the mindful brain allows us to do often in the moment is that first of all you feel your own emotion and you may not feel anything in that moment but you might feel frustration you might feel the utter ridiculousness of a child that's eaten everything and can't see why there are none left even at their age you might feel like you've already been to the shops you don't want to go back you might feel You might feel agitated by the money that's being used up by, you know, the food that's being eaten. You know, there are lots of different triggers for us. It might be just that you want peace in your home and you had it for a few minutes and now you've lost it. So becoming aware of what has triggered us, if anything, and just really simply being able to speak to that emotion. So I use a process called ALL, which is called Acknowledge, Link, Let Go. And it's, again, it's a neuroscience technique. It's well-researched. It um, is a simplification so that we can use it in our homes of what scientific researchers have been doing for a while in emotion kind of, uh, you know, studies. So all it means is you're able to very quickly scan your body and go high feeling of, let's say it's frustration that she doesn't get it. You know, this is just irritating. Can't she see? High feeling of frustration. It makes perfect sense because you you validate it. You say it makes perfect sense. And you might just say because it is irrational or because I'm really tired or because that's the sixth box of raisins that we've got through this week or because... I don't want to go back to pack and save. So you just have a really gentle awareness of what you're feeling and why it makes sense. And then you just, the third part of ALL, the last L, is let it go. And in therapeutic situations, you put a hand on your chest and a hand on your stomach and breathe it out. Now, in normal life, you might just imagine that part, or you might very gently put a hand on your chest so that it's not obvious because otherwise we look a bit silly and just go... The instant you validate an emotion and make sense of it and name it, the brain reduces in cortisol. It's it, it always happens. It doesn't mean the whole frustration is gone. It means there's space in your brain for the oxytocin that you need in that moment, which is your connecting hormone with your daughter. So it's become less about you, more about her in that first half of the process. And the second half of the process is a process I call MLP which is mirror link pause and where we offer to our child the same process that we've just done on ourselves but we do that actively rather than silently and so you would say to her something like I, I can see that and it doesn't have to sound scripted but you'd say something like I can see you really want more raisins Or I can see you're so frustrated there aren't any more raisins. You either see the emotion or the event, doesn't matter. And you use the full words. It could be you are so angry, like you are full of rage. Or if they're a teenager, you can use swear words. You know, it totally depends on the age stage of the child. You have had enough of me. You wish there was more food in the cupboard. You know, often they're on the ground pounding. This is not a clinical exercise, You are so upset. And what we're not doing with that mirror, we're mirroring back what we see. We're not trying to reduce it. Mm -hmm. And all the neuroscience research shows when an emotion is genuinely mirrored by another, it calms down. So if you were having a really bad day and your partner or a friend said, oh, it can't be that bad, generally we ramp up. Mm. Or if they said, calm down, calm down, we ramp up whereas if they said that just sounds like the day from hell you'd start to go you feel validated and heard and like somebody's
0: held space for your emotions
1: absolutely and they've even taken the energy to try and voice a word for what you might be feeling like they're really trying to get in your shoes what's amazing with children is i would say 60 70 percent of the time They feel that and they calm down almost instantly. There's still that 20, 30% where they rage or they can't get themselves up off the floor. Their resilience has gone. But very, very often if you say to a child, you are so upset about the raisins, like your world has come to an end, you start to see their body relax. And if you even add the link, which would say something like, and they are your absolute favourite food at the moment. So you give another reason why. It's very similar to if a child, I don't know, is really competitive and comes off the sports field just unable to manage or shake hands with the opposition because they're so gutted they lost. We often say, you know, get over it. Somebody's got to lose. Go and shake hands, all of that stuff. But it's just much quicker to say, you're gutted that you lost that makes so much sense because you beat the same team two weeks ago and we really expecting to win you'll watch your child the shoulders come down the eyes come down often they melt into your arms and the last thing you want to do is cuddle them at that point but you kind of have to be the bigger person and hold it but often you don't have to solve the problem the the mirror and the linking and the p in the mlp is just pause It means you hold space to see if the empathy for the emotion actually helps them resolve it for themselves. And you're holding space to respect that actually a child is responsible for processing their emotions. We're just responsible for seeing if we can companion them through it so they feel supported. It's not our job to fix their emotion, but it is our job for them not to do it alone. And often what you'll find is a child will just stand up and run off or they'll ask for something else, or they'll get distracted. And halfway through the empathy, they're gone, which for me is a win. I don't think they have to sit around for the empathy to last, but you want them to be able to get through the disappointment of the raisins by themselves in terms of processing the, the hormonal ingredient in their own body. But our job is to stay with them while they do that. And although that's, you know, even as I'm speaking, that sounds like such a long process. I process mine, then I mirror link, pause theirs. But with practice, all of that takes about 10 seconds, Mm. which compared to the two, three minutes, five minutes, potentially 20 minutes of you're fine, you're fine, get over it. Let's go to the store and get some more raisins. Over time, the efficiency and also the loveliness of the space in which everybody's emotions are welcome, but nobody's business to fix each other's grows and grows and grows. So your parenting job becomes smaller and smaller and smaller and your connection with your kids gets bigger and bigger and bigger.
0: Hmm. What's the big picture for all of this? I think, you know, you were talking at the beginning about how you have the techniques and you've got the theory. And I think the you're okay, calm down, go shake the other team's hand our our learned like in a child from our parents thinks that builds resilience but really mm-hmm. the opposite is true that by doing the technique you've just spoken about that that builds emotional resilience in our children so what is the big picture long term child development emotionally well person that comes from parenting this way
1: Yeah, there's, um, I call it a kind of beautiful secret in the scientific research that we now know, which I wish I had known when they were born and I want the world to know, which is that our children are already born with everything they need to thrive. So we are not responsible for their thriving. We are the gardeners. We're not the carpenters. It's an entirely different job. They're born like a little seed and you might have got a runner bean. You might have got a cherry tomato. You might have got a rose or an oak tree. We don't know. There's nothing you can do about that. But they are born with everything they need to thrive, to bear fruit, to be the little plant, if you like, that they are. We're not born. They're not born a lump of wood for us to sculpt our flaws, our brilliance, our whatever. And see so they don't receive us like that. And so the role of mindful parenting is to keep the soil healthy, well-watered, composted, and as great an environment as possible for our children to thrive to their fullest potential. But it's a much more step-back role. Rather than a step forward role, it means we have a lot less to do than we thought. So, the bigger picture for me is the great news is that your children will do really well. My children will do really well if I leave them alone and I pay attention to the life and the emotions and the healthy or unhealthy thoughts that I am living, feeling, and thinking. And the wonderful news about that is that I, my children get the overflow of me, which sometimes is really, really scary. Like on a bad day, the last thing I want them to be is like me. But it's actually really good news because it means their outcomes are not dependent on things like um, their schooling, the activities they do, the friendships they have. All of those outcomes are... Uh, all of the effects of those things are tiny compared to my relationship to myself as a parent is what they get. And although that sounds a bit odd, if you think back to your own childhood, if your parents had been living in a way where they were loving their own lives, you can imagine the overflow of that Mm. into your life would just be, you just get in the slipstream you're free to be who you are, but you've got this great moral model of I don't want to be like mum and dad, but I'd quite like to feel about myself like mum and dad feel about themselves. Mm-hmm. There's, it's an absolute win-win situation. So the bigger picture, and I feel really confident about this now that I've got an 18 and a 17 year old who I started mindful parenting when my eldest was about 10. So they had, she had 10 years of reactive parenting. The others had a bit less. She remembers it. None of the others do, which is really interesting in terms of brain development for kids. She talks about how mum used to be and how she is now. Whereas my son, who's only 14 months younger, goes, I don't remember that mum, uh, which is a sort of a relief. But my 18 and 17 year olds are very, very free to be themselves. They like themselves, they are not in any shape or form model children but they are comfortable in their own skin. They are really mentally healthy. They come and go in terms of how much support or assistance or advice or all of those things they need from me and their dad. But they're very much planted in good soil where they are their own species, if you like, with us focusing on when they're not doing well, we focus on where we're not doing well. So, we go to the soil first rather than the plant. Rather than trying to shine up the leaves or pull out the buds and make them better, we go, what is it that they're struggling with? Is it screen time? Is it kindness? Is it laziness? Is it whatever? Where is that showing up in our lives? And what can we do about that first within ourselves so that they're experiencing parents that aren't those things and are enjoying not being those things so that they get in the slipstream? of that. So it's the end game is the, really the long-term goal of mentally well people mm. <laughs> and that if we can recognize the 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 deep gift of our children which is generally that they show us the areas where we're already struggling they don't create them. Like I often think that our children People say they just know my buttons. Like my son, he knows every one of my buttons and he goes for it. And I think our children are far too egocentric to have any idea what our buttons are. They're so busy thinking about themselves, which is right. But our children press on every, every millimeter of our bodies and our emotions. So they, any triggers that are there, they will trigger. But the good news is then we find out about ourselves. And then we can do something about that. But what we don't want to do is try and stop our children triggering us because we won't then find out about the areas of our own lives where we, you know, it could be our body shape we don't like. It could be the way we deal with our finances that we don't like. It could be that we're not confident in our friendships. It could be all sorts of things. Everything will be triggered by our kids' body shape, by how they spend their money, how they handle their emotions, how kind or unkind they are with friends, how maybe they're a bully or bullied or whatever it might be, is that if any of those things resonate in our lives, we will parent them poorly because we'll want to get away from that really difficult feeling. It could simply be that you love order and that keeps your brain in order and children come along and cause chaos in the house and you can't cope. Because tidiness outside means tidiness inside, and learning to develop tidiness inside without having to have the externals tidy is a real strength and a real gift that our children offer to us. So, that lovely bigger picture is that we're all moving towards health, but the, we can give the gift to our children of our own health, hmm. and then they don't have to do all that work when they're our age. The thing
0: I'm hearing from you is that I guess even when we don't necessarily parent quote unquote perfectly, that that's an opportunity and that that's actually like a good thing in all of this is because then we're learning about our triggers, we're learning about ourselves and there's an opportunity for growth in that. It's like something that happens to me all the time is I I try to do the mirror link pause and then if I don't do it and I have a moment where I react and I you know go back to my default of the tone and the way that I was reacted to as a child oh my gosh the guilt eats me up inside and I think oh that's it I'm gonna completely fuck her up forever like yeah (laughs) And I, and I know it's not true, but I think there's just like this deep fear that if I don't do it right all of the time, she'll go through life feeling the things that I've gone through life feeling. But I think the really beautiful thing like about what you're saying is that that's progress. Am I right in understanding that?
1: Yeah, d- definitely. And I, I would say even more so that that beautiful spirit underneath that of really, really wanting to quote unquote get parenting right. Yeah. Is if we can take that energy and turn it towards Sky, towards you, and say, can I treat Sky better in this situation? So we take that same energy of I want to treat my child so perfectly that she never goes through anything get shifted to I want to treat treat me better so that I'm kinder to myself in all of my mistakes. And then that role models to her who's going to make loads of mistakes and be the recipient of loads of other people's mistakes. What you're role modelling is that she can then be kind to herself. Mm. So the perfectionist buzz is a really difficult one because the energy underneath it is so lovely But the result of it is that we then role model perfectionism and guilt to our children, and that becomes our overflow. Mm. So this is where that mindfulness practice is really, really helpful because if our brain practices paying attention with kindness and curiosity every day to something neutral, and the common ones are our breath and our senses, we're training our brain to literally pick out and pay attention to things, anything with that energy. So it's only a small step from there to pay attention to your own, the fact that you just yelled at your child, (laughs) or for me, the fact that I just kicked her. My book starts with me (laughs) the day that I threw my child's lunchbox across the kitchen and smashed it because I was so angry with her because she'd lost three in a row and I had gone out and bought her a new one bought her a really lovely one thinking she deserved the most basic box that I could find and choosing to be the bigger person and she came home and turned her nose up at it and I was so angry that I threw it across the room and smashed the brand new lunchbox so I had to buy another one and that those situations are not uncommon at all for those of us who are parents who go I'm not like that as a person but somehow my children drive me to the worst of myself. When we have a mindfulness practice where we're practiced at paying attention with kindness, it's then only a small step for me to take myself up to my bedroom and go hi, feeling of rage and paying attention to you with kindness. It makes perfect sense you tried your best to be a great mum. It is frustrating when they lose things all the time. <sighs> breathe some of it out and suddenly the clouds part mm. and this utter fixation with a present moment problem gets swallowed up in the bigger picture of we're okay I can go down and apologize it's a lunchbox we can shop together for a lot. like suddenly the whole what I call the whole brain comes online which is the green brain as opposed to the red brain, which is very fixated and focused and filled with cortisol and adrenaline, is that that means every time you go into even a small version of that, where you're, as you say, you're overrun with guilt, you can actually stop and go, Hey, feeling of guilt. Makes perfect sense. I want to be the best mom that I can be. (laughs) Oh, that feels good to even say that to myself. I let it go. And now you've got a bit of, you know, challenging parenting, a guilty feeling and it's over and you're back in normal living again, which means in years to come when your child makes a terrible decision, they're able to go, oh, shit, I shouldn't have done that. High feeling of guilt. Oh, it's okay. It's over. Maybe there's an apology. And we, we ride these waves in a way that our children learn that mistakes get absorbed in the process of self-kindness and some definitely need Following up, some need some have huge consequences that we do have to live out, but not on a guilt basis. Sometimes pragmatic things need to be done to resolve stuff. You know, if you steal, you go and you know, repay those sorts of things. But generally, if it's an emotional interaction, the quicker we process how bad we feel about ourselves, the quicker we get back into connection with our child. And children are unbelievably forgiving. Like they keep coming back for more, however badly we treat them. So if we can get ourselves back into that state of connectedness, what I say to parents is our children get the average of the way we parent. The general overall tone. So we can have really bad days. But if generally we are unconditionally accepting, if generally their emotions are all okay for us and our emotions are all okay for us, if generally we have a mindfulness practice so that we can be present and not busy all the time, that is what they will get. That's the soil. They won't get the individual weeds or the individual we've sort of oversprayed it or we've pruned it back a little bit too heftily you know they they get the overall if they're growing in healthy soil and we know how to look after ourselves and forgive ourselves and be kind they're just like they just get on with their own lives and they're not focused on us because we're doing that part and they're doing all of that beautiful growth and curiosity because they're free from the responsibility of how mummy feels about herself because children actually do feel that part so I do a lot of guilt processing with parents to get them to the other side of going I need to feel it and I need to know that it's completely normal completely valid and completely absorbed in the genius or the wonderfulness of the rest of the way that I parent and love my kids. Mm.
0: Love that. It's it's, mm. really validating and actually like I think for some people listening this might be you know quite top level first introduction to it but for me this is really heavy like this like hits me in my core so I think there'll be other people listening who feel that way too. Um, I do want to talk about the average though because I think that That's just like so reassuring. So let's talk about the average, rather than you know we're focused a lot on those those moments, the big emotions, ourselves, you know our baseline mindfulness practice, so that that's what we can come back to. But in terms of that those average days, those everyday normal interactions with our children, and you know obviously the big moments, the emotional moments are average interactions as well but how can we focus on that those little connections with our kids what's important there
1: um the the thing that I find I guess most motivating in the mindful parenting material about the average like you say is that less is more so mindful parenting is the art of subtraction not the art of addition what the attachment science is showing us now is that children thrive, and I've already mentioned this, but it's great in this context to you know revisit that idea. Children thrive in an environment where there is a general atmosphere of unconditional acceptance, where they're not being... Uh, improved upon where they're not being seen to be, they'll be better people in five years' time. When they can read, or they once they're out of nappies, or um, once they can leave the house without me having to take them everywhere, then we'll be okay. Is that great parenting? Is simply about um, a, a sort of really low level generic acceptance of what's right in front of me, and that doesn't mean spending loads of time with our children. It actually means being relatively available in a green brain space, which means we're not so busy that we're unable to be interrupted and we're not so stressed that they can feel the tension. So if you're in the home watching TV, cooking dinner, maybe playing with one of the kids, maybe not even reading a magazine, your children will feel the relaxedness of the environment and they will be fine. So what I I love about what we're discovering is that this whole concept that children need focused, careful interaction, it's a really modern idea, came about in the 1970s, Prior to that, the word parenting wasn't really a word. You were just a person that had kids, a mom or a dad. And as long as you created a good environment in the home, that was you know, safe and curious, then your children would be fine. Now, some of that was quite distant parenting, but we've gone the opposite direction now, which says this plant will not grow unless I am busy with it all the time, unless I am shining its leaves, unless I'm pulling it up out of the soil with all the different things that I need to offer the child in terms of what they eat, what they are exposed to, what they're protected from, what they have opportunities to do. All of those things are sort of cherries on the cake, but actually they often eat away at the cake itself. So we're so busy accessorizing our parenting journey that we don't have time for the piece or space for the piece that really matters. And that piece is simply being able to be around our children relatively unreactive and generally feeling positive about them, even if we're miles away from them. So an example of that would be, you know, when your children says, come and play with me, or mom, mom, and you've got to say cook dinner. Let's use a really normal example to be able to say to them, I'm cooking dinner. You can either sit up at the bench and join me, or you can carry on playing without me. It's your choice. Generally, children will be fine with that because they can have your company if they want it, but you're not moving, you're getting on with what you're doing, or they can go and play by themselves. And different personalities will choose different things. Lots of parents say to me, they won't go and play by themselves. But what we've discovered is that's usually because a parent speaks in a tone that is slightly stressed when a child asks for that. So they'll be like, I'm too busy. Or, well, I can't. I'm cooking dinner. Or I've been playing with you all day. The really generic tone that just says, I'm in my space now and you're welcome in my space. I may not be able to talk very much because I focus on the recipe. You know, obviously, if you're a multitasking, really domestic mum, that's fine. But for me, I can't cook and talk. I'm not good at it. So if they sit at the bench, I'll listen, but I won't be having a helpful conversation, which they know, or they can go off and do something by themselves. So, but the energy that's behind all that is that my children don't need me in their lives at the level that I was led to believe in the literature that I read Mm. as a parent. And the media that's out there, they simply need me to be available for their basic needs, obviously food, shelter, safety, education, other things they absolutely are their kind of rights. Beyond that, they need me to be in an available state, some or most of the time, so that as and when they need me, I'm around and not too busy for them. But also I'm really, really curious about their life, I want to know lots about it. I want to play with them a, a fair amount, but they there is uh, an overparenting that has come in that is creating children that can't survive without parental attention. And of course, then it's a never-ending cycle because we're exhausted by the level of attention mm. they seem to need, and then we can't give it to them in a way without being quite stressed by them, and then they need more because they feel the red brain. In the home, so it then goes round and round. Um, But it's a it's a self created cycle. Mm. So pulling back into that space of I may be a parent, but I'm also a person. I'm a professional. I'm a friend. I'm a wife. I'm a I was going to say runner. Although I'm injured, I enjoy running. You know, I'm all of these things. I am not just the parent of this child, and my child needs to see me living my life well, which includes them, they don't need to see a great parent. That is of no benefit for a child to grow up knowing how to be a great parent. We want them to grow up knowing how to be a person that enjoys their life. And that includes all the things I do that exclude them,
0: mm.
1: like going out for dinner without them and getting them a babysitter and having them howling because they don't want us to go. Is really important that we do those things and that our lives don't become about our children. So the average of any mum and dad's life should be the whole of that parent's life. And practically, when you've got really little ones, the opportunities for all the other stuff outside of parenting are small because you're really, really hands-on practically. But the global picture is that is a really small season. For me, it was a bit longer because of having five, but it's actually a small season where their needs are that intense and all of that time, we're still looking at what music do we still love? What do we still like to, if you can't leave the house, what do we still like to watch? You know, if they're playing Lego and I'm lying on the ground with them, I can still be drinking coffee and reading a magazine and saying, oh, that looks interesting. I don't have to be playing the role, being with them in it. That is not good for my child to need that level of interaction in order to play creatively. It's not good for me. I need a bit of, you know, Woman's Weekly and a cup of tea (laughs) but still in the same environment so stepping right back into how would I have loved my mum and dad to live what would have been good for me as a child to be in the slipstream of is a much better question to ask because usually it has a quite a hands-off to it. I would like to have been my own person, left to myself, allowed to think and feel for myself, but with heaps of unconditional love and acceptance in the home is what most people say, mm. which is actually not such a difficult job compared to the one that lots of us were taught was the job that, and is the job that maybe we think we're supposed to have.
0: Mm. It's actually a lot simpler than yes. Yes. we think it is. Yes. Yeah, and that's a really—it's so profound how simple it is. It's really amazing. I just quickly before we wrap up want to touch on that that energy that you talked about in terms of your voice, because I think you know when you are looking at the toddler stage, you know especially before their language is de- you know fully developed, they're still getting that comprehension. They do, even if they don't completely understand all of the words that you're saying, that energy is still, that's what kind of, I guess, transports them to the feeling that you're, you hear them, you see them, and it's all okay and you're calm. That in itself, that delivery is more important than them understanding the words themselves, isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And there's, if you um, have time to find it, you might even want to put a link to this. There's a gorgeous little, it's probably three minute video called um, How to Speak Toddleries. And it's by a guy called Dr. Harvey and I think his name is. And he's, he's, slightly loopy like it's very funny to watch him in action but what he does is he takes this MLP idea into the physicality of toddler language and so he trains um, parents in speaking the language of toddlers in a way you probably would never do in public because it's really undignified but he will get down on the carpet with a toddler and bang the floor with them and go no I wanted to play with the other toy or she took my this or I want to go outside and the words don't matter so much. What he's doing is he is embodying the experience of the child and it's fascinating to watch the video and obviously with videos you can never tell what else was going on and whether they were just fascinated by the camera person. But with two or three of these kids, you watch their whole body language reduce compared to the parents going, it's okay. It's okay. Calm down. Don't worry. Don't cry. Don't cry. You'll be fine. You watch these kids just tense up. And, and, and what you can see in their body language is, I am not being validated here. And the parenting is out of all the best intentions is that we want our child to feel happy again, want Mm. them to calm down. But actually the route to that is stepping into it with them. So without going as dramatic as um, Dr. Cartman does, to be able to kind of stamp your feet and go, oh no, that really sucks. It's bedtime and you so hate bedtime. This is so much more fun to play. You know, that whole energy in your voice and that kind of, you can use your little fists and... Our children get that wonderful sense of what we're not saying is it's not bedtime. What we're saying is it makes so much sense, you'd rather it wasn't. And they get that lovely feeling of we're still in charge and we're still going to take them to bed. But we absolutely empathise with the fact that who wouldn't want to stay down and play? Like every child in the world, well, most don't want bedtime. And when we resort to it happens every day, (laughs) could you just get it into your head seven o'clock is bedtime? You know, if it worked great, but I did that for years and it never stopped them the following evening. Because what I found with empathy, which is wonderful, is you do it for a while and then they get through it. And that's the resilience piece. Hmm. After a while, they feel, I assume, I don't know, I, they assume they still feel the cortisol of its bedtime, but they stop reacting outwardly because it's been empathised with so much and bedtime has still happened each time that they then feel the emotion in their body and somewhere in there they process it from themselves and they sort of stomp away upstairs until they're a little bit older and then they genuinely go. But what they're not doing is fighting back all the time because uh, we've embodied their their emotion in a way that makes them feel really, really understood. Mm. And actually it's quite fun to do it. I mean, I didn't do it when they were toddlers. My youngest were five. Um, so I have to be honest, I've not tested this out for myself, but five-year-olds are still fairly – I think there were four fairly – Uh, intense in their emotions, but I've worked with so many clients with toddlers who say it's actually It loosens up that adult thing. It's almost like learning to dance again and being allowed to embody your body is to see your toddler's wee body and to go, oh yes, I kind of remember that as a kid that the wrong color plate was enormous and the end of a party was huge and I hated bedtime and it was horrible having my siblings stay up later than me and I didn't get the Christmas present that I really, really, really wanted Santa to bring me and you sort of start to remember those feelings and if somebody at the time had just said rather than just be grateful (laughs) if they'd said oh you wanted something different didn't you oh that's so hard that actually you would probably have got on with enjoying the present right in front of you because somebody had taken you halfway there and you were able to get the rest of the way there yourself
0: Mm. yeah absolutely I mean I see it in in the times that I do MLP as it's designed to be done. And then I, there are times where, you know, my reactivity gets the better of me and I do react. I can see the difference. The The proof is in the practice. It really is. Yeah, it's an incredible tool to have. And, yeah, like you say, it's not even necessarily about um, them. It's about getting through it as well for you as a parent and also knowing that, in those moments how you feel is okay you're not expected to feel fine about their reactions all of the time it's just about being able to acknowledge that in yourself first Um, and then you'll see the benefits in them it's yeah it's really it's really amazing it's very powerful
1: And I think just there you've touched on one of the myths that I really like to bust in terms of mindful parenting is that lots of people perceive mindful parenting and even perceive my home as being places of supreme calm, that it's kind of this we literally all float above the ground just a few inches all day, every day. It's actually the complete opposite. And I don't mean it's carnage, but what I mean is we have moved into a state where all emotions are valid, which means there are more emotions, I suspect, in the home. It's just they blow over much, much quicker. So my emotional range generally is not expressed in front of the kids too much because I'm able to process it for myself, although I can be very definite in my boundary setting i'm i'm generally have processed the quarters all out of the anger and i'm now just into boundary setting which is the green brain version of anger is that what you're saying is there is a safety boundary here there is a boundary of behavior here that needs to be put in place but i'm not all fired up doing it so that the but but we are seeing anger in the house we are seeing fear we are seeing tears And there are seven of us in the house. So there's plenty of it. The difference is we're not expecting to sort each other out and get them to stop quickly, which usually lengthens an emotion. It means that once the MLP process is being used, there's a, there's a healthy respect for the fact that somebody may need to keep on processing the emotion or be grumpy or annoyed for quite a while. And then our job is just safety, just to make sure that people aren't too disrespected or or hurt, but that that person doesn't have to reset to happiness too quickly. And so that if you walked into our home on any given day, there might well be at least one, if not two or three people in the middle of fear, sadness or anger and trying to get through it either with the support of somebody else or through a bit of negotiation or possibly a full-blown row. But that, that doesn't now sit within a what went wrong model of life. It sits within a were we able to empathise and respond and boundary and help them get through it? Was there a kind of bit of a learning journey? Did they access some of their own resilience or was it just super reactive, reactive, reactive where we just came out of it feeling worse about ourselves and worse about each other? So very important to know that mindful parenting is not about creating some kind of calm home it's about everybody is growing and developing in their own self-responsiveness to I am responsible for my own reactions and as each child starts to grow even at 18 months they start to watch and see whether you are taking responsibility for your own reactions they don't know that or whether you're sort of throwing them back at them like it's their fault that they've triggered you and and it's very organic for our children if they get it modeled especially when they're really little like I I had to relearn a lot of things with my kids but the parents I work with who do this from birth their children are learning to talk about their emotions and to say but mummy it makes so much sense I was really angry with you but to learn the mum to go well well done that's an amazing awareness His kids are doing this from three four five mm wow, what an amazing thing to to watch the fact that our brains are really capable in these areas of recovery. There's a real bounce back mechanism. As long as we don't judge it or judge ourselves in the process and just stay curious, then it means all of these things keep coming. Emotions keep coming, but they come and go with a flow that doesn't damage the fundamental unconditional connection doesn't get swayed by what's going on on the emotional ups and downs that are more on the surface level of that deep connection that we can then have with our kids.
0: I have one final question for you and it's a question that I ask all of my guests and it's a personal question and I, I think this will resonate with you. I, I believe that the mother we hope to be, the parent we hope to be, is exactly the kind of parent that we are or the mother that we are, even during those times of reactivity or when we have our bad days, that, you know, like we were talking about, the average is the truth, the essence of who we are as a parent. So, Shirley, what kind of mother do you hope to be and therefore what kind of mother are you?
1: Ah, how do I answer that? I, the kind of mother that I hope to be as one who is really, really gentle and kind to my own vulnerabilities, to the vulnerabilities I have as a result of a mum that struggled to like herself. So I hope to be, and I think I'm growing into a mum that doesn't compare too much with others. It's a real temptation when you're the mindful parent author (laughs) to think you have to be the most mindful of parents but actually I'm not as mindful as many parents out there who maybe had a an upbringing where they got more unconditional connection than I did so I want to be a parent that is growing into an unconditional acceptance of myself first and foremost and I'm no idea how far along that journey I will get but I'm I'm on that path now.
0: thank you so much for listening to this episode of motherness for more empowering interviews like this one check us out on apple podcasts spotify or wherever you like to listen and if you like today's episode please subscribe and leave a review so more listeners can discover all that motherness has to offer we are at motherness.podcast on instagram and our dms are always open if you need advice or would like to chat i'm sky ross and you've been listening to motherness